So, Will, there is a uh, piece of media out there, a news mag, called Filter, that we happen to rely on every single day for its coverage. Are you the man? I'm one of the people, um, but yeah, I'm the, I'm the founding editor-in-chief of, of Filter and um, an executive director of the Influence Foundation, which is the non-profit uh, behind it. So, how did you come up with the idea for Filter? Um, it actually evolved from some past uh, websites that I founded and ran, um, which were in the, on the general issue of, of drug policy and harm reduction, somewhat similar, um, had the problem of being owned by uh, commercial interests in the rehab and recovery space, and so they weren't uh, necessarily a good fit for um, my own agenda. And so um, a group of us got together and thought, well, what if we could create a mission-driven non-profit uh, in order to have um, a, a, a publication with a, with a real harm reduction agenda. So, I mean, we've had Alex Norsha on the show, we've had Helen Redman on the show, uh, fantastic resources. I mean, I have to tell you, like, I mean, the level of coverage and reporting in, in Filter is outstanding. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm lucky enough to work with some outstanding people. Yeah, no, it's really good. And so, how, how do you get so deep? How does Filter get so deep into the issues? It's, it's a combination um, of um, sort of strategic planning in the in-house editorial team um, and giving uh, reporters time to really dig into stories while trying to meet the requirements of being a, de uh, a daily publication. Uh, at the same time, um, idea generation often happens very organically. We have, we've had, I think, 200 plus um, people write for us about different subjects at this point. And when you have such a network uh, of informed people with different perspectives and different expertise, then they'll come to you with ideas and we very often adopt those. And so it gives us um, more than, than if we were simply five people in a room uh, trying to think of, uh, of, of articles. So was tobacco harm reduction part of the founding ethos uh, issue for Filter or was it something that editorially you moved into? It was, it was always part of it. We were, we were in favor of harm reduction um, for, for all drugs, including uh, nicotine, and indeed, um, as that lens applies to areas that aren't drug involved at all, for example, uh, sex and sex work, for example. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think you can't be a sort of full service harm reduction publication and ignore tobacco harm reduction. That would be absolutely absurd, given that, uh, as we know, smoking is the, the biggest cause of drug-related death in the world. It may not get the headlines of the overdose crisis equally, you know, very important, very tragic, um, but the, the fact that eight million people annually are dying of smoking and that harm reduction alternatives exist um, to prevent these deaths and that these alternatives are being blocked and indeed targeted by all kinds of entities as we've been hearing today um, is outrageous and we need to be communicating that. Why is there that blockage? Because arguably there's been softening in more of the hard drugs harm reduction. You know, that's, a, that's the gold standard. You hear AIDS and yes. heroin, opiates and so forth. But it seems that most in the media, public health, government, and the lay public don't seem to recognize tobacco harm reduction, say, maybe as a valid, you know, execution on the theory. Yes, I mean, I think that there are, are several reasons. Uh, one of them, of course, is the involvement of the tobacco industry, which isn't the case with those other substances. And of course, the, the tobacco industry has a re relate. Uh, a reputation that is so toxic that it turns off a lot of people who should be supporting, um, the, the, you know, tobacco harm reduction for 
human rights, uh, can, you know, uh, health equity and all kinds of other good reasons. Um, another is that um, THR is a form of harm reduction that has largely happened without the intervention of public health in a, in a top-down way and so you've got some people in public health as we always hear who um, with a historical enmity for the tobacco industry uh, also seeing uh, a, a solution to smoking unfolding organically that didn't come from them um, and so so double the reason to to oppose it and sometimes in very surprising cases. So just a couple of quick questions left. First of all FDA uh, appropriate for the protection of public health. We've seen, you know, views get um, a marketing authorization. In your estimation, what's going on in the U.S. in regards to FDA? If I could answer that question wholly and accurately, I would be uh, more informed than anybody else alive. However, um, I think it's 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 a mixed bag. We've seen a real war on nicotine in the United States for all the reasons you're very familiar with. Um, FDA approving um, for the first time a vaping product. It was a hugely significant step forward. On the other hand, it comes with all kinds of caveats. Um, for example, it seems that only uh, super large companies, often with tobacco backing, are able to complete the arduous process in a way that gets it accepted. Um, then again, very importantly, we're seeing um, all kinds of flavoured products have been rejected and the war on flavours continues and we know that adults, um, many adults rely on flavours uh, to be able to, to switch effectively and so if it's, if it's kind of just a, a partial um, approval of, of, of one limited product that very few people relatively use, um, I, it, you could almost see that as death by a thousand cuts. And so it's, it's, you know, it remains to be seen what will happen with the rest of the big players. We're seeing legal challenges unfold to the MDOs that have already been issued, uh, which, which perhaps gives hope to some of the smaller and medium-sized players. It's very much up in the air. We've had a step forward with that one approval, uh, but my goodness, that saga is not over yet. There's a very long fight ahead. And WHO, SCTC, COP9 coming up. What are your thoughts on COP9? What's your message if you could give COP9 a message? Well, clearly the message I would like to give them would be to adopt harm reduction immediately uh, and start saving millions of lives. What I'm hearing from a lot of advocates, though, is that the fact that tobacco harm reduction is not on the agenda at this rather clandestine meeting is could in practical terms be a sort of win because because if it were on the agenda it would probably be you know something bad done with it there's there's that and what some people are saying is that that simply by stalling the momentum that's going against tobacco harm reduction right now while um, the the markets and the uptake of THR products uh, continue to grow in the meantime before it's addressed at COP in 2023 um, that it could be a sort of win, albeit you know things are moving much, much more slowly than they should, and every delay costs lives. So, um, some some mixed messages I'm hearing about that situation. That's an interesting take, though. You know, that's a strategic way of looking at it. Yes, and of course, the whole situation is uh, absurd, unforgivable, whatever adjective you want to apply for it. That the world's leading health agency, which adopts harm reduction in all kinds of other domains, is continuing to deny and block tobacco harm reduction, which has the most life-saving potential of all.